Our world is lost in unnecessary fear and hurt. Our systems seem scientifically engineered to make you small, powerless, and always waiting for the next great leader who will fix the problems around us. Worse, we're witnessing neighbor versus neighbor while warfare breaks out around our family tables. But you have access to a spirit, a strength that enlarges and empowers you. Even better, you don't need to wait for the next big movement. You can heal the world. It's time for governance by Grace. Welcome to Grace Archie with Jim Babka. You know, Jim, I didn't know this, but the first time that Colin Kaepernick took a knee was right here in San Diego at the last preseason game of 2016, before the 2016 season. That stadium has been torn down now, as a matter of fact. It has nothing to do with him, but oh, it's okay. been torn down and replaced. <laughs> but, uh, you know, big military town here. And, yep. uh, you know, this whole thing of racial injustice that uh, and the, the sort of military police state that Kaepernick was protesting by doing this, uh, it's something that's still with us. It's been a lot of controversy about that. But I want to focus in on the bravery of this guy, with whom in many ways I don't agree, for using his platform to call attention to something that was going to become even more heated as 2016, 2017 rolled on, as Trump called for him to be fired, for the NFL to fire people. And, uh, and as the movement grew, which it has done uh, after his significant uh, and many others significant moments of kneeling during the Star Spangled Banner. Uh, I don't know where this conversation is going to go, but I think we need to revisit where we are sort of as a nation and how you and I stand in Grace Archie with response to this valid issue that we all ought to address. Well, can, can we do something else just slightly different at the very start here? Can I ask you a question? Sure. How do you feel about idols? I-D-O-L-S. Idols. Right, idols. Yeah, the, the things that you worship as totems, as stand-ins for God. Uh, I, I know you're going with this. I'm not an idolater, but I think your question is apt because idols can creep in on us. And pretty soon we realize without understanding it that something's taken the place of the, the really important thing. Something's taken... Uh, a representation that doesn't belong to it, that we've given some sort of, um, or, or uh, how do I say, we, we've willfully placed our trust in something that isn't the actual trustable thing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm not a big, I'm not an idol, I'm not a big one for idols, but they do show up. I mean, look at the fascination that America has with money, you know? I, <clears throat> I do not know the entire history of this but I don't understand why we need to sing the Star Spangled Banner before a ball game. Oh, this is a good question. Sure. So, so there's a crowd of people. I'm raising this for a very specific reason. There's a crowd of people who will argue that they don't, and I'm with them. I'm completely with them, but they don't really mean it. As I like peeling away these, these you know, causing cognitive dissonance and peeling away these layers of of unobserved hypocrisy. They say they don't want politics at their ball game, and they get very upset when the politics show up at their ball game because they don't like the politics that showed up at the ball game. But guess what? As soon as that, as we all had to stand and rise in unison for our national anthem, politics was there on display, right there. Okay, 
Yep. The anthem that we sing is a pro-war anthem. It's an anthem about battle. And it's based on a uh, a what's what our, our Supreme Court has called ceremonial deism. Oh, interesting. Which is where which is where God is a generic all-purpose God. It's kind of the 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 the, the the God of the nation of, of us, it's just kind of a general appeal. He doesn't really have a specific personality. We're not saying Jesus here. We're not saying Jesus is father. We're saying God, right? Just in general, could be Allah if we were in different culture, but we're just saying it in the most generic possible sense. We're appealing to it. And we have this religion that we practice kind of a ceremonial deism where we all agree to participate in something and the core belief of this ceremonial deism is not my belief as someone who follows Jesus Christ, which is that mortal men with no divine nature at all, just like me, died to make me free. Now, we had a previous episode that we did with Perry Willis that people can refer back to, and we will put it in the show links, right? Yep. Where we went through the history of U.S. interventions. And the case from a historical perspective is conclusive. The wars that were fought did not protect your freedom. They did not expand your freedom. And in nearly every case, they actually did the opposite. And the only place that we can point to in all the wars of U.S. history where this is a debatable question is the Civil War, where a group of people were freed from slavery. And the implication there is clear as to how many people benefited. But I want to also be clear that there were rights and a central government that became much more powerful after that event was over. And we are living with the consequences of that now. We are not done paying for the national sins that we have. But the idea that all of these foreign wars that we fought, the idea that there's anyone walking around today who died, uh, who, who, who served alongside other people who died for our freedom is patently false it's and it's it and it and it has to be called out. It's not harmless because people did actually die. So, Bill, when I used to have a radio show, and I would close every episode when I was in my syndicated radio days, I would close every episode by saying, "Support the troops by bringing them home." Bye bye. And I believe in that to the core of my being. These these people are being used. Their families are being taken advantage of. And then what happens is, that's the real, right? Because those people really died. Flesh and blood people really died. And then we erect a totem to which we all rise. And we rise in the exact same way that you rise at the beginning of a worship service. This is an invocation. This is the thing that unifies us for a minute. We're going to forget the ball game and we're going to worship. And we're all going to stand and stare at this, this flag which is non-coincidentally red. It's supposed to represent the blood. Yes. So the only person that I have a relationship with who died to make me free is Jesus Christ. There is no one else, and I'm sorry to say this, that died to make me free. Nobody that is listening to the show served alongside anybody who died 
to make us free. Now, they may have thought that's what they were doing, but almost always some politicians were somewhere were misusing their lives to advance their political ends. But those things did not. In Iraq, they did not make us free. In Vietnam, they did not make us free. In Korea, they did not make us free. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, They're, yeah. So this is not, this is, and the history on this is clear, and the politicians' actions on this is clear, and then we sanctify this crime, this bloodshed, in a ceremonial moment before we play ball. Well, I have a question That's for why you. I'm asking you about idols. The commemorating the lie that uh, is sort of embodied in the in the current national anthem could be fixed and those of us who are advocating for a different national anthem uh, firmly believe this by changing the song by replacing the star spangled banner with uh, america the beautiful for example um which is not a warlike song <laughs> it does commemorate a lot of what is beautiful about america um would that help alleviate some of the idolatry that you feel around the flag and the national anthem? Significantly, but I want to know when you go to a show, like if you go to a concert, there's no Star Spangled Banner before the concert. Well, the lights the go concert. down. I, our San Diego Symphony used to play the Star Spangled Banner before every performance. And okay. I grew up with a youth symphony that did that. Okay. Well, yeah, in my son's when he was in junior wrestling, they did the same thing. They, you know, it was before every different type of event they would do that. I, I'm suggesting that it's we don't have to go to look at the flag at the moment. That's an idol. We don't have to go look at. I, why do we have to be called back to something that we are clearly attempting to escape? You go to a show. You go to a ball game for some escapism. You go. Yeah. yeah. You go. There's a whole separate package of goods that come. They don't do this at movies, right? Everybody doesn't right. stand up in the movie theater. I'm it, and it didn't used to happen at sporting events. It happened for specifically politically manipulative reasons. Yes, correct. And I am suggesting that people who don't want politics in sports, you want to get it out. Colin Kaepernick would have had nothing to kneel for during if that wasn't there. But since we chose to have that ceremony, he made a very strategic move and initiated his action in that moment. He didn't do it during the second quarter, right? When his, when the defense was on the field, right? Right. right? People might've mistook that and said, he's praying that the defense holds and that he's going to get the ball back quickly because they're down a score. That's not what he did. He did it before the game started in the moment of ceremonial deism while the invocation is occurring. Yes. We might say the same thing about, uh, prayers in the locker room or on the field or after the game, you know, there's this blending of deism with sport that I haven't seen happen any other place. Have you? Uh, you know, sport is an interesting thing in football in particular, since that's the number one national pastime, right? If you go look and see what the top 20 broad uh, television broadcasts are in any given year, something like 18, 17 of them are football games. And the number yep. one broadcast every year is the Super Bowl. So yep. football is kind of part of our natural. It's one of the few things that we all come, that a lot of us come to get, still come together around. 
fewer and fewer, but but it's it's bigger than ever because from a commercial standpoint, we don't have like we used to have three big networks and everybody's watching the same three. You know, you're choosing right. between yeah. Gilligan's Island and I don't know what it was on on the other channel. It was all crap, but you know, we're choosing between those things, right? And we don't have those water cooler things anymore. So football is like that last thing that serves it. And football is a very military-like battle. It has generals and strategy. It has violence on the field. Uh, and, and it's no coincidence that the military is a, number, is, is a big supporter of it. It's a big supporter of the UFC and mixed martial arts fighting, right? They choose to enter these, these arenas where, where people really gruel and they really fight. Right to oh, get yeah. to an objective. Right? The Army Navy game, you know, it's yes, yes, it's part of our culture. Yes, exactly. And so it, it, this is I, I, that's my answer to your question. I think there's something about the competitiveness of sport. So I don't know. You know, you play piano, and you know I'm not tall enough to qualify for many sports at all. Right? Maybe ping pong. Uh I think what they do is they offer young men who have maybe some athletic or uh, aspiration, some competitive aspiration, but they can't compete to where they're going to get a scholarship in college. Right. And they offer these young men um, another way of achieving that glory and that, yes. and that, and, and, and that sense, by the way, that the military does very, very well of helping you just kind of get your stuff squared away and learning how to be an achiever. Right. So they appeal to that, that, so they, they, they run the advertisements very purposely to all the guys that can't, the young guys that can't quite get on the field. This is their way of getting on the field, but the stakes are a lot higher than they are for the guys that are out there playing. Oh yeah. We're talking life and death in many cases. Exactly. In the military exactly. versus, yep. uh, and, and not just in combat, people die plenty of other ways too in the military, but um, it's definitely not about entertainment the way the sport is. So, you know, no one would want their child to drink and, and go out drinking, right? They don't want their 16 or 17 year old going out drinking, hanging out with their buddies. The risk one of them is going to drive home intoxicated, or maybe they, their child themselves will. Nobody sends their kids out into a dark alley at night. Say, Hey, you know, you ought to hang out in that part of town. Yeah. Yeah. Just go over there. That's cool. Right. And there's reasons that you don't do those things because you recognize that there's inherent danger and that that danger could change their life or end it in a way that is uh, the change could be very difficult to recover from. Oh, sure. And the, yeah. and, or, or they could ultimately, it could ultimately be mortal. They could die, right? Well, that's exactly what we're doing with the military. We're sending them into the most dangerous part of town sometimes. That's literally what we're doing. So was Colin protesting this as well? No, he chose to do it during this moment because he understands that this is national religion. And I'm saying, like, I don't want all the political messages in my football games or any of this other stuff. I would like to go to these places to escape. But the door had already been opened. And in he walked. And the way he walked in, he didn't necessarily get it right on the very first try. Because originally, they sat on the bench. Right. Yeah, they were just sitting. But when he figured out that the kneel was the right way to go. And there's a story behind that. When he figured that out and he did it during that moment, well, it was electric and we saw what it did. We saw the shock that it caused. Yeah. Well, this is a, this is a fundamental hit at a very gut level of America. Why do you think that is? 
Well, it's, a, it's for a lot of us, an assumption that we just kind of made. Like I grew up around the national anthem. It, I was in military school, played it in the band. It was part of, you know, a lot of the entertainment that was happening that I went to and consumed. It's a part of football, went to Stanford. The national anthem was a big deal because they had a real live civil war cannon that they would blow at the right moment. Um, this was exciting. It was good stuff. But taking it to the next level and saying, okay, how much of the blood that was shed really was for our freedom, for our liberty? Well, that's an interesting question because you just sort of assume that along the way. And until you dig underneath the hood a little bit, that doesn't come home. So the whole assumption that Kaepernick was, uh, was combating is something that needs to get unpacked hugely unpacked there, there's so much in that that you've pointed out just now beyond black lives matter like over and above all of the things and the reasons that were the point of the protest but even our president at the time um wasn't willing to go there right they weren't willing to unpack what's really been the purpose of american involvement in foreign wars they weren't really willing to unpack the state religion that we find ourselves in, which I love the term, by the way, uh, ceremonial deism is a powerful uh, comeuppance that I think we need to own. But how can we, two guys on Gracearchy, change the most popular television events of the of the year to bring this kind of awareness? It's really hard. I, I, so what I wish, because I see people put up these patriotic messages, and what I wish is I could help them unmask. And it's difficult to do because I think that the first thing, one of the things you just said right now, I think is true of a lawful lot of people. And that is that they are, this is how they, it's always been. They were raised this way. This is part of just the natural order oh, sure, of right. things. Yeah, it's just, that's how it is. And, and there's, so there's some assumptions in there. Yeah. Big military um, family. This is how we've always done it. People, you know, yeah, I don't think you even need to be life. that. I think there's people who are not necessarily military who still have this. I mean, I've, I've got a specific person in, head, in my head right now that I know was really bothered by, by this kneeling and they're a good person, but they're not, they don't come from a particularly military family. They just thought in the natural order of things, this was, this was disrespectful. And, and so I raised, I, I guess I raised the question disrespectful to whom? Who, to whom is this disrespectful? Yeah, specifically. Specifically. Can you name names? Now, I'll tell you who they're going to name. They're going to name the people, the fallen soldiers who died. Yes. And I'm saying you are part of a problem that allows politicians, guarantees politicians, the future ability to send more young men and now women to die for lies because some of them have been lies. The Gulf of Tonkin, which expands dramatically, the Vietnam oh, yeah. War, is a false yeah. flag event. Weapons of mass destruction in Iraq was a lie. You're going to empower politicians to continue to commit those future crimes because you you would prefer to believe in a false god or a false belief, a false pagan belief, that the sacrifice of young men is what makes America great. Because we agree to kill some of our young men, we are great. We are free. And I wish it would stop. So at the Super Bowl, they add to the ceremony. You talked about your cannon at your Stanford games. They do the flyover. 
Yeah. With the military jets. Yep. Because is that really the thing? And by the way, I refuse to accept that the thing that makes America great is our military. No, we're not great because we have a great military. We just got through doing an episode on the Constitution. That's a pretty great, great innovation. Not perfect. Yeah. I think there's got some obvious problems. We'll talk about that in some future episode. But right now, I just want to say the fact that this country was built more on ideas, like all men are created equal, is what makes it great. The fact that this country said, we are going to allow you to pursue your happiness. We're going to make that your, one of your rights. That's something that makes us great. The fact that we decided that the government should be limited so that people could maximize their potential to flourish. They wouldn't be as interfered with. These are things that make America great. The things that people do every day when they show up and they do their job, right? And, and the fact that they can pursue a dream where they can actually innovate or build a business or whatever. These are things that make the fact that we are charitable, that we can create all these. This is what makes America great. Every country on the planet's got a military. And you know what they do on their holidays? They march them down. The Soviet Union, China, Egypt, they had these big military parades where they would parade all the weapons and all the men in their in, in their uniforms, right? Yay. This does not make us different. The things I just listed are the things that make us different, make us special. But none of those things make it onto the into an NFL stadium. No, they do not. No, and, they do not. And so I'm I'm wondering, I mean, Kaepernick had a very specific idea in mind for this protest. Yes. But it spun out to, to help the evolution of consciousness in so many other ways, including the ones that we're talking about here. And it goes to questions like, so how do we tell the young men and women who were kids when the Twin Towers fell that their military service now is somehow not patriotic? Well, That's I want to be clear. Race point. I want to be clear because I think those young men and women frequently are patriotic. And oh, I think no doubt. Most of the people, I think most of the people, I mean, some people have been drafted and they'll be honest about being drafted into the military and they'll say, it was crap. I shouldn't have been there. Whatever, right? I've yeah, got, but, uh, I have a, a friend. I, I got to spend some uh, time with one of my donors last July. Uh, we we happened to run into each other at the same event, and he served in Vietnam. And he said, "I had to do things for my country that still give me nightmares to this day. I was forced to do them. I was under slavery, required to do them. I would do anything to go back." And and I, I he said, "I didn't have the consciousness that I have now, and I didn't realize what it was going to do to me at the time. But I didn't want to be there. I didn't choose to be. I was drafted. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So." Uh, there are some people who are who have served in the military who wake up to this. And and when Ron Paul was talking about blowback, very famously talking about blowback in, in, in response to Rudy Giuliani, he was saying, are you trying to say that the towers, uh, those towers fell because uh, Americans are at fault? I've never heard such an explanation before. That's offensive. You owe us an apology. And he said, well, I'm not going to apologize. The CIA has come has, has even laid out this idea of blowback. It's the idea that we do stuff over there. Americans don't know that that stuff's going on and being done in their name. And then bad things happen. And then all of a sudden we all have to go rushing to war and, and go fight these people, these enemies that we, that our government quietly in secret previously created. Yep. Okay. And they get us all stirred up. They get us, they get us all stirred up and we got to go to war. So I'll give you a, a classic example that we didn't cover in Perry's episode. Um, we're supposed to hate Iran. Why? Well, in 1979, they stormed the U.S. Embassy and they took some of our hostages. And a popular song went out, bomb, 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 yep. bomb, Iran, bomb, yep. bomb, bomb. You remember it? I do. Okay. Well, ignorant Americans didn't know, and how could we, that 
from that very same embassy in the early 50s, the CIA, 1953, I believe it was, overthrew the democratically elected government of Iran and installed their own dictator. They did the same thing in Guatemala. They did the same thing in four other countries before the 50s were over. Yep. Okay. They staged coups. Your government staged coups. Well, we're ignorant, but the people in Iran weren't. They knew exactly what had happened and they knew from where it happened. And when they were looking to overthrow the government of the Shah, what did they do? They went back and took back this very ceremonial ground, by the way. There was a statement they were attempting to make and almost every American didn't know what it was. It took us until the late 90s for that news to start to sneak out. And finally, I think it was in 2013 to say I flat out admitted that they did it. They revealed completely that they did it. And so, and so proudly this, we hail. This has happened again and again and again and again. And today's friends are tomorrow's enemies. Uh, they were called freedom fighters in Afghanistan. And one of them was named Osama bin Laden before he became an enemy. Yeah. This, I mean, this is, this is such a repeated pattern. The idea that somehow other we're serving, I, I, I think is an inherently pagan idea, inherently pagan that we need to sacrifice young men to keep our country going. But that's what your freedom is based on. And I hear this, I hear this uh, echoed not too far away from you and I, by the way. We're aware of a situation very close to us where that's exactly the theme and it's wrong. It's murderously wrong. But the people that go, the young, bright-eyed people that go, they don't know any better and they're trying to do the right thing and they are good and noble people. And that's what makes this even more tragic is that they are being sacrificed and they are unwitting. And then when they die, their families get in on the conspiracy because the loss of a human being needs meaning. You seek meaning in that. Like, how did I lose my 20-year-old son? And so you look for a purpose. And then a politician shows up and he stands up and he gives a speech or a eulogy for your son. And the, the mayor shows up and different people and they start hugging you and they say, we're really sorry. And they hand you a flag that, you, that you, you'll display in your home forever in a trifold way. Because you want to remember this and you want that moment to have meaning because it can't possibly be the case that that death didn't happen for no reason. It just can't be the case. And so you convince yourself into this. And so I'm, I'm probably offending people left and right here, but folks, the consequences, the stakes are too high. I'm pleased to say that in the last two years, I talked a young man out of joining the military. I'm pleased to say that. Now, I'm not trying to say that the people in the military, I want to be very, very clear. I was starting to bring up Ron Paul before. I didn't finish that point. Ron Paul's number one donor class. He led all Republican candidates in contributions from members of the military. Why? Because they're out there and they start to see how the military works. By the way, you want to know how government works? We get uh, terms like FUBAR, right? Or... uh, uh, what's the other one about the chaos that they have? Uh, th- but they've they've got all these different phrases. You know what I'm talking about. I do, yeah. Hurry up and wait because they're part of a they, – they get to find out how the government really works. They get it. They get it good and hard firsthand. And they find out that they're over there, and a lot of them wake up and realize, holy crap, we've been taken advantage of. We've been used. So does this parallel in any way? what Kaepernick is all about, because he was calling out the the needless death of his black brothers in a way that was not ceremoniously um, blessed by, by, by society. I mean, George Floyd, 
probably the name everybody knows, but there's Eric Garner, there's Michael Brown, there's Tamir Rice. It goes on and on, man. And and he was calling the same kind of attention to those needless deaths that maybe we can say are emblematic in some way of the many millions, probably by this point, of Americans' lives lost well, of, all, I, of all races and skin colors. Can I, can our, I say this in history? Can I say what you just said in a slightly different way? Sure. Yeah. So we're honoring the deaths of people who went and fought in the military, right? Right. Standing up and we're doing that. Yep. If we're going to honor deaths of innocence, people who should not be, who should not be gone. Can we also look at some of the people that are of my race? So I want to go, I want to go, I'm not, apparently I'm, I'm in a mood to offend people today. I do not believe in the concept of white privilege. I think it's wrong. A hundred percent. I think it's the wrong solution to an obvious problem. But I look at, when I look at this situation, if, if, if you believe white people are being treated in a way that's better than black people are being treated, and I think there's some, there's substantial evidence for this, the solution is not to take away the privilege so that we're made equal. The solution is to make sure that we expand the full understanding of the personhood and rights of all individuals so that they're all able to maximize and live their best possible lives. Now, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here because I know we want to talk about some of the stuff that is goes on in the inner city, but just to stay on the race issue for just a moment, Colin Kaepernick was using that ceremonial moment to bring attention to another group of fallen. And he was well within his right to do so. And it was done in a way that I feel is very skillful. He very skillful. A better place, a better time, a more significant gesture. So he sat he, on the bench the very first time. He and one other player sat on the bench. Yeah. Uh, Reed, I think. Anyway, yeah, they sat on the bench. Then they and talked then, about it with their military buddy and decided that kneeling yep. would work. He said to them, you know, we kneel at the graveside of our fallen comrades. So choose the posture of kneeling. It's more respectful and your message will go down better. Well, no, it didn't. And I want to tell you why it didn't go down better. In my humble opinion, it didn't go better because it was more effective. If he was sitting on the bench, he's a disrespectful bum. But if he's kneeling, he's now borrowing from two different traditions. He's borrowing from the, he's he's, he's interrupting our ceremonial deism where we're honoring. And the right way that we do that is we stand. And then he chose the posture of kneeling, which is the posture of prayer. And how dare you do that, right? And I so think that actually made things people, it made the, it's simultaneously the way things work in life. It made it more effective and it created more backlash. Yes. Which is what we need to get off of our butts and do something about it at the end of the day. So let's bring this into the inner city now, because all of the wars that America has fought have not been about that. And yet, <laughs> and yet, guess what the politicians give us? They know war. They give oh, us yes. the war on drugs. They give us the war on poverty. They give us the war on uh, education. They give us the war on housing. Um, and everybody goes, oh, yeah, we got to stop this. You know, we gotta, 
remember the guns for Iran Contra uh, yeah. um, arms yeah. hostages. Uh, so why do we think that a government that hasn't given us anything through war is going to do any better for those who are most at risk in, say, the war on drugs? Which is wish- terrible. I wish I could talk to Colin like face to face. I wish I could have a conversation with him because I think that we're the only ones that have an answer. When I say we're the only ones that have the answer, I mean, those of us who are broadly in the libertarian camp, we're the only ones that have an answer. So it essentially boils down to this. This is the essential libertarian insight. There are only two ways to get things done. Okay. I can work with you on a voluntary, cooperative, persuasive basis, right? Those are called the persuasive means. Yeah. Uh, or I can be aggressive. I can use coercion, threats. Like those are backed by theft, vandalism, violence of various kinds, right? I'm going to find some way to sanction or take from you the stick. And those are the two ways that we can get things done. And when a politician stands up, and a Republican or Democrat, and says they're going to make your life better, they're going to lift a little of the burden. Because given the fact, the metaphysical fact that there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? Someone's going to pay for it. They're what they're doing is they're promising to steal from somebody in order to deliver to you what they want. They're promising that they'll crack some skulls if that's what they need to do. Now, every politician is like the proverbial man with a hammer who's walking around treating every problem like it's a nail and he's going to pound it good and hard. And so our politicians repeatedly give us wars. We have a war on illiteracy. We have a war on crime. We have a war on drugs. And this war on crime and this war on drugs, when we decide that we need to do something about this stuff, what we end up doing is we end up targeting people in the inner city. So we do. And in the course of our drug war, we have ripped away now three, almost four generations of young men who are not in their communities being fathers, taking responsibility. Many of them have been framed. Many of them have been put in prison for simple possession charges. And we've completely, there's, we can go through a lot of different things that have gone wrong, but we have completely decimated these communities. And you know what we gave them in return? A check. We gave them a check. We started providing welfare for the kids. So we have all these kids growing up without their father present, without a structure, without a role model for the males amongst them without that sense of security that, that comes. And I'm being, being really politically incorrect here that comes from a re- proper relationship between a father and a daughter. Like this is what the man you're looking for, this is what he should be like, is someone like me. We're, we're taking away this essential structure. We've destroyed the black family, just crushed it. And by the way, it was progressives that did this for the most part, Right. You had Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton and or Bill Clinton at the time. It wasn't Hillary necessarily, but she went out talking about super predators. You remember this? Yes. And they passed a massive crime bill at the federal level where they sent a whole bunch of new police officers into these cities. Yeah. And then we had a war in Iraq and we gave in Afghanistan and we gave precedence to the military men who were patrolling those streets, which were dangerous. And they were used to shooting people and doing all kinds of things that cops don't do. And we gave those people badges when they came home. We gave preference to those people for badges. So this whole kind of Andy Griffith version of policing completely pushed out of the way. This patrolling your beat and knowing the people, having relationships with the people in your community, they're gone. They're in cars now. They're spending all their time doing two things. They're trying to find drugs in a car so they can arrest because those are the easiest convictions for prosecutors to get. 
and they want to confiscate property. They want to they want to get automobiles and cash and valuable goods that are in those vehicles. That's what they're after. And this has been this has been cranked up. It's been cranked up from the federal level. There's federal dollars that are driven into these local communities and the places that they police the the hardest. And I mean, good and hard. I mean, they really give it to them are our poor inner cities, which are disproportionately black because their fathers aren't present. This is this is a crime of epic proportion. And I, and there's other things we could talk about, about the way things are. But if you want to get, if you want to call something systemic racism, if you want to call anything systemic racism, our war on drugs is that thing. Yep. I'm going to post a book about it in the show notes. So anybody who wants to can read it. The history has been written and it's, it's eye-opening and just so hurtful. It, it does not increase pride in America, by the way. And to know that America has led this war on drugs worldwide. Worldwide. We have spread our cancerous policy all over the planet and we've done it through bribes. We've done it through coercive methods. We've done it through treaties. We've done it through trade agreements on and on and on. We've done this. And, and and this is the thing, like all this stuff has a common thread, Bill. The American people sit by and let this stuff happen because they would prefer to believe in myths. Right. They'd prefer to, to salute the flag at, the, at a football game versus confront and the reality. Honor a thin blue line. And honor and a, thin, honor blue a line. thin blue line. Yes. Yes. Which is an idea that they are separate from us. Not that they serve us, but they are separate from us. We are potentially their enemies and they will band together anytime we challenge their authority. Yes. And God even help when, you try to get them even out of when office, one of them is clearly in the wrong. Now Completely. I'm seeing cops begin to speak up at scenes. This recent situation, uh, there's a, there's a recent situation down in Florida where a cop turned and literally pushed a female officer who was trying to stop him from committing a crime. Now, he fortunately got fired from his job, and all of it was on camera. So this is starting to happen. They prosecuted a rookie cop that was standing next to uh, George Floyd, who didn't stop his training cop for obvious reason. I'm not sure that this was fair, but they wanted to send a signal to everybody coming along next. You see something this heinous going on. We don't care what your rank is. We don't care if you're a trainee. You better stop it. Time to toe the line. And maybe Colin Kaepernick helped with that. I hope so. And like you, I would love to be able to um, to talk to him now and, and reflect on the movement that he got started and how it spins out into all these other areas where America is not great. And it will never be great by restoring its pre-Kaepernick sensibilities. We got to change right. people. We, we Can I tell you a change. funny story related to this? Sure. So we spent a lot of time talking about the military at the beginning. And so I've had these thoughts ever since I discovered the work of Rene Girard and subsequently Richard Konigsberg, who we'll bring on the show, show uh, soon, I hope. And I, <laughs> I had this idea that I wanted to write a book to talk about this ceremonial practice that we do before games. This is pre-Kaepernick's kneeling. And I was inspired by another football player to, to think about this idea. So there was a guy, a famous Christian and virgin, 
who was a one-year flash-in-the-pan star quarterback. He'd won the Heisman Trophy. His name was Tim Tebow. Oh, my gosh. When, I know this. Yeah. When Tim Tebow would score, he would, and he would because he could run. The guy could take the ball and run with it. He's a big guy. He tried to make it. Uh, he tried out for tight end a couple of years ago in, uh, care, uh, for the Carolina Panthers. He's a big guy. And so he wasn't a great quarterback. He had one season where they actually made the playoffs with him. And he was kind of a cult celebrity, but it, it was kind of a fluke thing. The team was really good. And, uh, but he, he kind of washed out as a quarterback. I think he's a, he's a good guy. I think he's a noble guy. And what he would do is he would run into the end zone and he would kneel down. Yep. Now the secular left went apoplectic. They, oh yeah. <laughs> How they were mocking him on Saturday night live and they were just ha- like, they couldn't stand the fact that he would kneel at the game. And I consistently, I defended Tim Tebow and I know people who defended Tim Tebow or said, hey, he's just honoring Jesus. He's honoring his Savior and Lord. He's thanking God for the touchdown. Wait, wait, Colin Kaepernick's kneeling because of race? Doesn't he recognize men died for that flag, right? And yep. so I was like, at the time, okay, so here's the funny punchline. I was thinking about writing a book and introducing a concept called Tim Tebowing. The idea was that you would kneel or you would stay seated during the national anthem in protest of war. And I was going to call upon people to do this because we only, there's only one person who died for my freedom. And it's a slightly different kind of freedom. And so my idea is I'm not going to put any of the gods before him. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to put this in a book and I'm going to use Tim Tebow as my model and my example. And I thought this should, this, this would, kind of play with people's heads a little bit. So I, 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 I see Tim Tebow kneeling and he did it after scoring a touchdown. He didn't do it during the ceremonial deistic part, but it still did set off a reaction by the way, from probably a very different crowd. Like you could take the two of them. Oh yeah. The people that are pro Tebow are the same people that were anti Kaepernick and the people that were anti Tebow are the same people that are pro, pro Kaepernick in many cases. So there, you know, there's no consistency here, you know, yep, only some yep. people are allowed to kneel at certain times. Cause I say, so why yep. do I say so? Cause they agree with me. It's only Neil. If, if you agree, I think, um, don't ask me how I know this. So I was going to call it Tebowing the national anthem. I don't think, I think he would have cared for the fact his name was used that way though. Well, <laughs> he's got a copyright now on Tebowing. Yes. He managed yeah, so to get... I probably I probably would have had to come up with a slightly different way to say it then. Yeah, well you but I but I didn't end up getting around to it just like a million other things and 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 now it's too late. Nah, it's his never too late. Pan moment, no, well, his his moment's over. Well, his moment's over, but this moment still remains. This whole the underlying idolatry of this ceremonial de- deism is the thing we need to deal with here and the symptoms of it that have spun out everywhere. Any so what's the grace note on this, man? What What is it that we can encourage people to uh, to consider changing? Well, first off, I would say that anybody that sees anybody kneeling anywhere should leave them the heck alone, right? Because fundamentally, we all agree that in this country, you get to worship as you choose. That's right. And this was a worship. Amendment. This was a worshipful pose. So, yes. for example, you hate cancel culture, then you should love you some Colin Kaepernick. That'd be the graceful thing to do. There you go. Uh, but overall, so grace is that un, unmerited favor. It's that 
deal where it's a situation where I'm looking and saying, what's your deal, man, when I don't understand you or I disagree with you? Like what's motivating you? What's making you tick? So when you see somebody doing something out of step with what everybody else is doing, it's a fact that that's going to be a lot harder to do. I, I don't think that the players at Nelt, that this, and knowing what was potential backlash that was going to come to them, the first ones that were doing it, including Colin, I don't think, I, I think they, they were taking a real risk and, and it made them uncomfortable. Because when I thought about this idea of doing T-bowing a national anthem, I, I thought about, you know, if you're the only person at the ball game that doesn't stand up with everybody else, how you stick out, how you might be drawing negative attention to yourself. And so I would ask and encourage anyone, if you see somebody who's doing something where they're not harming or hurting anybody, they're not picking their pocket or breaking their leg, that you pause and maybe even go up to them and talk to them and find out what their deal is. Because that's how grace works. It's where I stop and I say, what's making you tick at this moment? I don't like what I see you doing. I don't understand it, but maybe you can explain it to me. And in my humble spirit, maybe is something for me to learn here. Or maybe there's something I can share with you that will help relieve whatever is motivating you to do this right now. And so I would say, be graceful to one another, be understanding and patient with one another, ask questions instead of making assumptions about other people's motives, and don't let your political tribe get you stirred up into scapegoating that person which is ultimately what happened to Colin Kaepernick. He became kind of a scapegoat. But I think, Bill, I think his work paid off. I think it paid off because he was relying on a fundamental level of grace that would be out there. And I think it's proven to pay off. I think it's begun to make difference in the area that he cared about. I would hope that we could add to this, that we could add to this and we could do something to support the troops and bring them home.